0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotron.com/agony. slash agony. All right, our machines are on, and I think we're recording. Hi, I'm Rick Kleffel, and I do a show on uh, Sunday evenings on KUSP called The Agony Column. And I also have a website at bookotron.com agony. And I want to give kind of a little brief um, history of why we're here tonight. And this is all down to uh, Bob Guccione, the fa- founder of Penthouse so many years ago, who decided that he was going to court respectability by founding a magazine called Omni. Omni was a science fact and science fiction magazine, and the woman he hired to run that magazine was named Ellen Datlow. She's gone on to become a kind of a superstar anthologist and editor, and if you've read any science fiction or fantasy anthologies, you've probably been edited by her. Um, somewhere in the 90s she got the idea that it'd be a good idea to get two authors, she's back in New York, and get them to sit down and talk at CBGB's. And so she had this series of uh, presentations at CBGB's, uh, which was two authors sitting down and talking, like we have right now. Um, When she was uh, uh, somewhere in the 2000s, one of the people who worked with her, a guy named Terry Bisson, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, he's written the most pirated science fiction story on the internet called They're Made of Meat. You can go to terrybisson.com. It's a very funny and easy to read story. He came out here to relocate to San Francisco and founded a series of talks called SFNSF SF, Science Fiction in San Francisco. They all have this kind of format where we have a couple of authors read, and we like to have the authors read a meaty chunk of their fiction, and then um, we have a break, people kind of, you know, can talk, it's an idea, the idea is to not just have a standard reading and Q&A, but to have a little more intimate discussion with the, the writers. And I have to thank Tamara and the folks at Capitola Book Cafe for giving me this opportunity to do this here, because this means I don't have the two hour drive to San Francisco each way back, which is challenging at best. And tonight we have two fabulous superstars of fiction. Um, This is Guy Gavriel Kay. He is the author of The Fiona Tapestry. He is the author of Tagana. His new novel is Under Heaven. It's absolutely superb, and you're going to to love hearing it. And we have also Zachary Mason, whose new novel is The Lost Books of the Odyssey. This is a wonderful novel, and I think the reason I'm glad we got these two guys here together is because they approach the same kind of idea from very different directions. They operate under some of the same kind of assumptions and um, taking history and literature as facts and recreating them in their imaginations in a way that makes them more universal to us. And I think that these guys have both deal with translated works. There's so many interesting things these guys have in common. I think it'll be really fun to to hear them talk. Uh, and so first we're gonna have uh, Guy. Uh, we'll have Guy read for about uh, 10 or 15 minutes, and we'll go from there. And can everybody hear us here? Mm-hmm. Is this uh, PA working at all? Yeah, it's good.
1: Hey, am I live on this microphone? Good. Um, Rick's put me on notice that it has to be a meaty chunk. <laughs> and you have, me, you have no idea what a setup he's just giving me, but you will know in about one or two minutes. Uh, I learned probably far too late in my career that the really smart thing to do when you're reading from a book is to read from early in the book. Because that means that you don't have to do this really elaborate, long preamble backstory to fill readers in or listeners in on what has gone before. You know, Mary is John's second wife, and only after her sex change operation, <laughs> and uh, that's not my next book. Um, Under Heaven is inspired by and evoking. Uh, the Tong Dynasty in the 8th century of China, one of the most astonishingly complex, rich, sophisticated, violent, literary, uh, replete with stupefying material wealth, and a very formal hierarchical imperial society. And I started the book about as far removed as I could get from that intricate, dangerous court where the novel moves towards. I've started it with one man by a completely isolated mountain lake that was the scene of horrific warfare uh, several times in the previous 100 years where, on the order of a 100,000 soldiers, of both armies, his own Khitan army inspired by, by Tong China, and the Tagoran army, which is an attempt to evoke the Tibetans, who were a very powerful military rival at that time. And Tai, the protagonist, is alone by this lake burying the dead. And he's doing that because his father, recently deceased, was a military commander at the last battle by the lake and to honor his father's sorrow and regret at how many men had lost their lives in this warfare. He's spending the enforced two years of withdrawal from society, which was in fact true at the death of a parent. He's spending his two years alone by the lake, the mountain lake, laying to rest the dead of both armies. And the scene I'm going to read involves his encounter with one of the supply teams who've been bringing him food and wine, which happens to be important to this particular character, every couple of weeks, or else he would have died alone by the lake. And this supply team comes from the one-time enemy forces, the Tagorens. And remember, Rick wanted a a meaty chunk for a passage. I like Rick. The chunk of axes came from the side of the cabin, carrying in mountain air. Bitsan gestured. Tai walked off with him. They stepped through tall grass, over bones, and around them. Tai avoided a skull instinct by now. Butterflies were everywhere, all colors, and grasshoppers startled at their feet, springing high and away in all directions. They heard the drone of bees among the meadow flowers. Here and there, the metal of a rusted blade could be seen, even on the gray sand at the water's edge. You needed to be careful where you stepped. Water still cold? Bitsan asked after a moment. They stood by the lake. The air was very clear. They could see crags on the mountains, cranes on the isle in the ruined fortress there. Always. A storm in the past five nights ago, you get it down here? Ty shook his head. Some rain must have blown off east. Bitsan bent and picked up a handful of stones. He began throwing them at birds. Sun's hot, he said eventually. I could see why you wear that thing on your head, though it makes you look like an old man and a peasant. Both? The Tugurin grinned. Both. He threw another stone. He said, you'll be leaving soon. Midsummer ends our mourning period. Bitsan nodded. That's what I wrote them. Wrote them? My court, in Regyal. Tai stared at him. They know about me? Bitsan nodded again. They know from me, of course they do. Tai thought about it. I don't think my Iron Gate fortress is sending messages back that someone's burying the dead at Kuala but I may be wrong. The other man shrugged. You probably are. Everything's tracked and weighed these days peacetimes for the calculating ones. There were some at Regal who saw your coming here as Khitan arrogance they wanted you killed. The two of them exchanged a brief smile. Both were relatively young men still, neither felt that way. Bitsan said after a moment, I was instructed that you were not to be killed. Tai snorted. I'm grateful to hear it. <laughs> Bitsan cleared his throat. He seemed awkward suddenly. There's a gift instead, a recognition. Tai stared again. A gift from the Taguran court? No, from the rabbit in the moon, Bitsan grimaced. Yes, of course, from the court. Well, from one person there. With permission. Permission? The grimace became a grin. The Targuan was sunburned, square-jawed, had one missing lower tooth. You are slow this morning. Ty said, this is unexpected, that's all. What person? See for yourself. I have a letter. Bitsan reached into a pocket in his tunic and retrieved a pale yellow scroll. I saw the Taguan royal seal, a lion's head in red. He broke the wax, unrolled the letter, read the contents which were not lengthy, and so learned what they were giving to him and doing to him for his time here among the dead. It became... Something of an exercise to breathe. Thoughts began arriving too swiftly, uncontrolled, disconnected, a swirling like a sandstorm. This could define his life or have him killed before he ever got home to the family estate, let alone the capital in Shinan. He swallowed hard, looked away at the mountains ranged and piled around them, rising up and farther up the blue lake ringed in majesty. In the teachings of the path, mountains meant compassion. Water was wisdom. The peaks didn't alter, Ty thought. What men did beneath their gaze could change more swiftly than one could ever hope to understand. He said it, I don't understand. Bitsan made no reply. Tai looked down at the letter and read the name at the bottom again. One person. The white jade princess Cheng Wan, 17th daughter of the exalted Emperor Taizu, Sent west to a foreign land 20 years ago from her own bright glittering world. Sent with her pipa and flute a handful of attendants and escorts and a Tagoran honor guard to become the first imperial bride ever granted to Tagore, to be one of the wives of Sangrama the Lion in his high holy city of Regal. There had been a fall of poems like flower petals in Kitai that autumn, pitying her in parallel lines and rhyme. Married to a distant horizon, fallen from heaven, lost the civilized world of parallel lines and rhyme, beyond snowbound mountain barriers among barbarians on their harsh plateau. Tai was still staring at the words on the pale yellow paper, struggling to bring spiraling thoughts to what one might call order. Bitsan was quiet, allowing him to deal with this or try. You gave a man one of the Sardian horses to reward him greatly. You gave him four or five of those glories to exalt him above his fellows, propel him towards rank, earn him the jealousy, possibly mortal, of those who rode the smaller horses up the steps. The Princess Chengwam, a royal consort of Tagore now through 20 years of peace, had just bestowed upon him, with permission, 250 of the Tagorean horses. That was the number. Tai read it one more time. You know what this says? His own voice sounded odd to Ty. The captain nodded. "'They will kill me for these. "'They will tear me apart to claim those horses before I get near the court.' "'I know,' said Bitsan calmly. (laughs) Ty looked at him. "'The other man's dark brown eyes were impossible to read. "'You know?' "'Well, it seems likely enough it's a large gift.' A large gift. Ty laughed a little breathlessly. He shook his head in disbelief. In the name of all nine heavens, I can't just ride through Iron Gate Pass with 250. I know, the Togoen interrupted. I know you can't. I made some suggestions when they told me what they wished to do. You did? Hardly a gift if you're accidentally killed on the way east and the horses are dispersed. No, it isn't, isn't, hardly a gift. Tai heard his voice rising. Such a simple life he'd been living until moments ago. And the Ta Ming Palace was a, a brawl of factions when I left. I'm sure it's worse now. I'm sure you're right. Really? What do you know of it? The other man, he decided, seemed irritatingly at ease. Fitzan gave him a glance. Little enough in the small fort I'm honored to command for my king, I was only agreeing with you. Do you want to hear what I suggested or not? Ty looked down. He felt embarrassed. He nodded his head. For no reason he knew, he took off his straw hat, standing in the high, bright sun. The axes continued in the distance. Spitzan told him what he'd written to his own court and what had been decreed in response to that. It might, Ty understood, keep him alive, for a time at least. Two hundred and fifty Sardian horses, he was thinking, from within the sandstorm of his forever altered life being brought by him to a court, an empire, that gloried in every single dragon steed that had ever reached them from the west, that dreamed of those horses with so fierce a longing, shaping porcelain and jade and ivory in their image, linking poet's wounds to the thunder of mythic hooves. The world could bring you poison in a jeweled cup or surprising gifts. Sometimes you didn't know which of them it was. Thank you.